Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's lovely as always to have you here, you here, you there and me sitting right here. And let me tell you something which I found fascinating as fuck. A, the human being, population, existing group of individuals have a massive weight issue going on. And I don't mean, how does weight spell? I know, it's W-E-I-G-H-T. It's not the weight problem, it's the W-E-I-G-H-T. Because I read this this revelationary piece. Ah, fuck all that. You know, I read this article about how the the entire weight of terrestrial wildlife mammals, that's the lions and tigers and zebras and buffalo and buffalo soldiers and giraffes and elephants and all the rest, all land-based terrestrial life, wildlife, adds up to only 10% of the total biomass on our planet. How fucking gangster human beings, man. We've basically made wildlife population like carry-on luggage. And we are like the A380 or basically we have just taken over weight-wise. And we complain. Oh, you know, like people at the airport who are like these like these whiny bastards. No, I know it said only 15 kilos, but I just decided to bring 50 kilos. Thinking will adjust a little bit. You know, I'm going for my friend's graduation. My son's getting married for his graduation. He's getting married at his graduation. So I have to carry three, four, you know, spare babies to make sure it looks legitimate for the visa process. And we... We, we always want to compensate for something that we have fucked up with, right? Like, oh, I didn't realize that we couldn't take that much. Yeah, because it said 15 kilos for a reason. But no, you weigh 89 fucking tons and you want to carry a bag, which is that much. And then you're like, oh. And then there's some people, have you seen these people in the line who eye your bag when you have a small piece because they know you've got an additional 10 kilos. And they're like, can you carry this for me? Like, no chance in hell would I carry anything for you because you know what? I think we have now become extremely cautious and a little bit, I wouldn't say sensitive, but a little bit embarrassed. And we are, um, we might feel it, but we don't say it because we don't look like that asshole. But we've become extremely um, inhibited about talking about weight problems. And I'm talking, of course, not about being healthy, but when people are unnecessarily overweight um, we use medical terms like obesity. We have to talk about diabetes and coronary issues. But you know what, man? It's just when you carry around that much, it just gets tiring. And someone's got to talk about it, right? So now, apparently, the entire wildlife population, the wildlife land-based wildlife weight adds up to 22 million tons or something like that. And human beings are something like 292 million tons. And if you add the domesticated animals, which are your goats and sheep and cows and chickens and pigs, it adds up to 632 million pounds of human fucking assholeness. And you know what? That was a beautiful line of the article said, oh, when will human beings make Earth our own plantation and that's what it is we're just gonna have nothing we're gonna have a little li little patch of the amazon so people are like oh you know uh, we just thought we'll keep it for nostalgia you know like a little bonsai garden or one of those things that people keep for recreational purposes like look what i did to this massive red oak or redwood tree it was 300 
fucking feet tall or 300 meters or whatever the height they get up to. A car could go through it. But I just thought, you know, I'll make it a miniature version of what I can fit into my desktop because that's what I can do as a human being. I have the power of God. I can manipulate the way nature is. I can manipulate plants grow and I can make, oh, look at this, a golden doodle. I've taken a golden retriever, which is a really fluffy, cute dog. I've taken a poodle, which is a pretentious kind of French runway dog. And I've made them into something that doesn't shed. So my little baby or my little fucking whoever does who has a peanut and a dog hair allergy can play with this dog and be absolutely fine with the fact that he's a human who now has connection with animals fuck it's crazy that we are doing this and yes you know i'm not gonna go into the bush because i know i don't have the wildlife survival skills or not wildlife the the wilderness survival skills but hey i will walk on a footpath i will walk on a paved surface but this is just ridiculous. This is just too much of like, look what I can do and I'm going to do it. It's just too much lack of control. It's too fucking far we're going with this where we're just trying to domesticate. We're going to have tigers in our backyard just because we can. If it gets out of control, euthanize the thing because you know what? It's a humane way of getting rid of it. It's a big cat. And you know what? Let's document it and put it up on a TV show. And it's just getting worse and worse. We're genetically modifying Tigers, like, yeah, you know what? If this is the case, fuck biomass, uh, fuck wildlife. We're gonna have, um, we, we're gonna have miniature buffaloes. We're gonna have zebras that are mani manageable things that we can ride them. We can have them at the petting zoo, so at like you know, at lovely um, Susie or whatever, some kids' first birthday, she can ride a zebra that's three feet tall, and she can have a tiger that comes in a bow, so it can bring her and help her blow her candle. Oh my God, adorable! And they can have it at corporate shows where you know tigers can come and doing juggling. And you know what? A tiger can even host a quiz, a booze and thinking and pub quiz, or uh, whatever it's called, booze and brains, where they have these things like, oh, what was the first Beatle who left before Ringo Starr became the drummer? And then the tiger's like, oh, you have three seconds for that to win this scratch card from Red Label Johnny Walker, so that way you can feel really good about your mediocre choice of whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna happen. Anyhow, I, uh, before I lose the flow. I have a lovely guest on today's episode who talks about behavior, who talks about human beings, who talks about where we were, where we are, but she also helps people make sense of what they want from life and also who they want to be in this life because whether we know it or not, we just have this one experience to live through, to make sense of, to kind of find, be, uh, did I say kind of find of? Kind of be a little happy, uh, kind of not just get swamped by this absolute overwhelming flood of narratives and just generally chill out and be who you are. That's very cliched, but just try and understand what you're f coming to this table with, the table called life and your life and your relationship with that life. Everyone has their own relationship and life seems to be a very larger than life thing, a very big construct. But no, just think about it. This ability to sleep, the ability to fuck, the ability to wake up every day. And that I think is a very important thing to recognize because they're all very powerful things. You could say, oh, I don't, I abstain because the next life will give me a sense of enlightenment and release from the bodily grievances and the bodily cage that I call this human shell. But hey, that might happen, that might not, but you have this right now. So, Laura Berman Fortgang is going to help you and help me make sense of it and try to go down 
a direction that you have control over. Maybe you don't have control over, you're able to surrender your control over, but at least go down with it, with the things you have, with the people you have, and appreciate it. And yeah, at least enjoy the ride before it ends. So enjoy the conversation. You'll have a lot of insights from Laura, which will help you make sense of your reality or the situation or the circumstance you're in. So Laura, if you're listening, I really appreciate you taking the time. And for all of you listening, as always, thank you. I appreciate you tuning into this podcast. And if you do have a golden doodle or a labradoodle or a um, elephant-zebra combo, yeah, fuck yourselves. And thank you again. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. As always, I look forward to coming back on another episode for you. Till then, goodbye. God bless. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Laura Berman Fortgang, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, you're a person who uh, helps people make sense of life and especially their life and not just all life because <laughs> that's a different kind of coach. But uh, I think you do have a lot of insight because you're continuously in touch with people and you're continuously in touch with where people are feeling lost and where people are feeling the need to kind of become better versions of themselves. So can you kind of <clears throat> paint a picture of the present landscape where we are today with uncertainty for various reasons, with rising prices, with people losing their jobs, with people um, kind of terrified about the planet's future as well. So what is the, I wouldn't say the human mindset, but what is a general tendency of people's mindsets today? Well, I think that we would, you know, we've been, if we look at our parents or our grandparents and the things that people have been through, you know, wars and world problems, but we, everything seems more accelerated now for people, probably because of the internet and social media. So we can know about things all over the world at any time of the day. So people have bigger problems. Everything is going so much faster. People compare because we can compare. Mm. And I think that, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say that the world or, you know, the people I'm in touch with are in a state of despair, but they're certainly in the state of heightened fight or flight, you know, right. just when, when is the next bad thing going to happen? You know, whether in the United States with all these shootings, right. In schools, or, you know, is it another pandemic that could come? What's going on with the inflation, the global economy, the status of democracy. There's just really, really big things to think about. And I think that the only way that people can really, move forward and not get paralyzed by fear is to focus on their own life and to focus what they can control, focus on what they can control. And that's where my work has come in. You know, like I help people reinvent their work for the most part, but when you're reinventing your work, you're reinventing your life. And I think that people, I mean, my business exploded and, and that's a bad word to use when I tell you the timing, yeah. but it was after 9-11, after the World Trade Center um, disaster. Mm. Like my, my business just had so many people calling me because they realized life is too short and anything can happen at any moment. And they, they wanted to make changes. And I've only seen that keep going 
in the 20 some odd years since then that I think we really do have a sense of, you know, we don't have forever on the planet. We don't have forever for things to work out and that we might as well be happy (laughs) while we're still here. So (laughs) I do see, you know, people thinking that way. It's funny how we spend a lot of our mind space in a day trying to be happy yet not being able to um, do that because we think I don't know what it is whether we are distracted with doing things that we think make us happy or we just don't understand what it means to be happy or we get a glimpse of what it means to be happy and then we're just so terrified to lose it so we're upset <laughs> all the time <laughs> so <laughs> I don't get it because it's it seems to be the theme that a lot of people are trying to help people with um, it yet it sort of keeps you know going beyond our grasp and it, and finally then you have these various schools of philosophy you have the entire study and the pursuit of spirituality and then that seems to be an ever-ending thing because then it says hey this life means nothing just go to the next life in some schools of thought and then right, right. that adds to more misery but let's 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 talk about the mortal pursuit of happiness maybe that's something which is more uh, you know maybe not in our in our reach but at least it's something we can talk about we that we can do in the next maybe hour or two or a day so yeah um after 9 11 of course which is a massive hit um to the american sense of life and of course other countries have had their i wouldn't say versions of it but they've had other adversity uh, or more uh, you know moments of adversity when it comes to you know, you look at the earthquake in Turkey right now, or you look at the war in Ukraine, um, various kinds of events which are pretty horrific for human um, beings to face. And when when you, when you look at that, um, yeah, 9-11 was an, an attack on civilians. Um, t- the Turkish earthquake was, of course, an not in our control, but still a lot of life was lost. A lot of so, death. A lot of death. Yeah. So when, when you're surrounded by that, and when you contrast that to a society where, I wouldn't say it's it's all fine and normal now, because post-pandemic, I think everyone's got a, got a bit, bit of a wake-up call with what they want from life. But, you know, you, you kind of go through existence saying, oh, nine-to-five job, and then you have this, and you've come back home, pick up the kids, you're, you're complaining about how bills are expensive. So when the mundane starts getting annoying, and suddenly, wham, you're slammed with this, how do you, I mean, can you even fathom what's happening for a few things? Because it really takes you out of the way of thinking, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we get caught up in the day-to-day. I think that's what you're trying to say. And that... Yeah. You know, and even if you look at happy, you know, what's happy? It's not walking around all the time jolly. It's, I, I think most people are looking for a life of meaning. And mm-hmm. what is what is meaning deter- is determined by each person. But I think generally speaking, having love in your life, having other people in your life, we've seen from the pandemic how much we crave community. And feeling like what you do on the planet makes a difference, you know, some sense of purpose, not, not that everyone wants to save the world or invent the next thing that's going to change humanity, but you just want to know that what you do makes a difference to somebody. So meaning comes down to, you know, purpose and 
and being on a course. If you look at every religion, and obviously organized religion is less popular than it's ever been, but every yeah. religion is about getting to some form of behavior that puts you closer to your creator, right? Except yeah. in, in Buddhism, right? There's no creator, but nirvana. Yeah. So we all want to better ourselves. It's 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 just our way of our way of living is to feel like there's some purpose to it. So how do I evolve? And I, you know, it's unique to us. You know, the deer in my backyard, they just want something to eat. They don't think about their existence and and how long they're going to be on the planet. So it's, I think it's really very simple. I think we make it more complicated than it needs to be and that we uh, are so worried about our self-importance. You know, the more stressed you are, the more we reward each other in our culture. You know, oh, you're so busy. Oh, you're such a big person mm -hmm. because you have so much on your plate. But that person, you know, wants that happiness as badly as the next one. And I just think that we invest in the wrong places looking for happiness. Yeah, because these things are such... Um, if you if you if you actually look at the three things you mentioned, that's love, community, and in purpose. Uh, if they seem to be presented to someone at a formative time in their life, say in high school, saying that hey, you know, instead of the say the other three, which is money, success, and um, abundance, kind of, right. yeah, or career identity. All right, yeah, career identity. It seems to be um a pretty simple choice if if of course if that's the way it's been taught but it's not right it's it's been told you must outdo the person next to you you must kind of have accolades you must bring back honor to the school or the university or whatever to or the family. family yeah to the family yeah but it seems like the it the, the thing that we call identity or ego prefers this path of suffering right adding more um confusion adding more conflict because do i mean it's not it's maybe a question do these rewards of success and fame and bigger and more do, are they a better fuel source for our mind and ego you know our our ego your ego wants survival but mm. somehow we also want to be better than the next person like you said but if you look at, I mean, look at how many even suicides we've had in in the celebrity world. You know, Anthony Bourdain, um, Twitch. Uh, I can't think of the next one. But, you know, people who everyone else would look at and say, but they had everything. Yeah. You know, they were they were beautiful and they had amazing careers and they got to do amazing things and the whole world loved them. How could they feel so dis? so much in despair that they took their own life yeah and i think that that shows you that as much as the ego wants those shiny objects and those things that tell us that we're good ultimately we just really want peace mm. we want peace and we look for peace in the wrong places sometimes um so i just think that we we put so much pressure on our, our young people um, whether to please their parents or to, like you said, honor the family or to take care of the rest of the family. I mean, I I have for years have been concerned that at 16, 17 years old in high school, we're asking kids to know what they're going to do with the rest of their life, to know how they're going to make a living, to know how they're going to 
you know, progress their whole life. They're 16 and 17 and 18 years old. What do they know? You know, they know at this point if they're good at math or they're good at reading or they're good at dancing, they don't know much yeah. else. Yeah. And I think that we just do it wrong. I think that we don't look at the natural nature of each person and try to bring out ways for them to express that nature. Because any path that includes that your natural ways of being is going to be one that's satisfying and meaningful. Um, instead, we try to build from the outside in what looks good, what pays well, what um, will make us proud, what will bring you prestige, what will somehow we think will be protected. And, you know, when we see with natural disasters or some, you know, some very wealthy people were up in those towers mm -hmm. um, in the financial companies of the World Trade Center, you're not protected. We're never really safe. We just like to create an illusion of safety. And really, the, those things that you're talking about, they're all an illusion. They're an illusion of creating that, that safety that people want. And, yeah, you know, now we're going to get really philosophical. I mean, ultimately, nothing's in your control. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, I agree with that. And the reason I pose those points is because it's so important to hear it again and again and again, because you want your ego not to drive your decisions, right? Because then it goes down this path, which, as you mentioned, right, people who have everything then realize that it means nothing. But how does someone who hasn't got the 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 opportunity to travel the world doing a show like Anthony Bourdain or uh, see the straight, the Grammy stage like say Amy Winehouse or I'm saying a person who hasn't reached the upper echelons of success, fame and um, recognition? How do they tell themselves? Because there are people who haven't seen any of this fame; they don't even have the typical successful job. They don't have the big home, but they're so content, right? So. Uh, it's so important to understand these things early on, but yet these, maybe the purpose now people are able to express because m many people are realizing the, the the point, maybe not the pointlessness, but maybe the futility of going to a typical undergrad program, spending money, getting into debt, then going out there, getting a job, which means you're paying off that debt, but you're going to be in that trap for a while. Then you finish paying it off. Then the pandemic hit. Now you're like, what do you mean? I have nothing left. I'm going to be fired from my job. So there are people saying, you know what? I'm not going to go for an undergrad. I might take a vocational program or I might go travel or I might get on YouTube and try making money or become an influencer. So the options are there in the purpose area, right? Maybe to explore without being bound by the conventional or the traditional um, approaches. But these two things, which I think are so important as well, love and community are also changing because I feel the idea of love is now again uh, being distracted with identity, right? Whether who loves whom, who's allowed to love whom, which, what, what's your color, what's your gender, what uh, pronoun or whatever. We, we seem to be muddying the waters when it comes to everything essential to our existence, right? So how does someone make sense of love when maybe they are required to be of a certain status or maybe they are demonized for being a certain uh, gender. So how does one navigate that? Because it is so important, but what would you tell someone? Well, we're, we're saying in this context of love, romantic love, mm -hmm. and that's not the only kind of love, Yeah, you know, that we think of romantic love or having one partner or, you know, a significant other person in your life. Mm -hmm. But love is, 
a currency that's available all the time mm -hmm. in how you treat everybody that you meet. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to take everybody home with you and, and make yeah. a life with them. Yeah. But it, you know, just a, a love for humanity and a respect for people across genders, colors, cultures, religions. And, you know, and I know to say that to somebody who doesn't have a primary love in their life they're like you know that doesn't sound satisfying everyone wants that one big love or that soulmate but the best way to find your soulmate is to be interested in every person that you meet you know we, mm -hmm. we make so much judgment about who this person is going to be like they have to be this tall and they have to have this color eyes and they have to make this amount of money and you hear all those stories of people who you know they dismiss somebody and then they realized right in front of them was the biggest love of their life mm, right yeah yeah <laughs> so it's really it's it's a come from it's like it's like how do you see the world and how do you see engaging with every human being you know sometimes it's easier to love strangers than it is to love your own family you know because you have history with your family and hurts yeah. and disappointments but you know you can walk into the food store and be kind and make a new friend, you know, over the yeah. pairs. So, you know, we, we talked about love community and purpose as really the sources of happiness. And if you really want love, you give it to get it. You, you know, that's such a, that's such a uh, powerful thing yet hard because we, we were sort of conditioned to have these one is, I think, preconceived notions, but also to kind of judge based on on, on visual appearance, right? A lot of that, uh, and, and, and you know, the reason I'm leading up to this is because I, I I'm visually impaired. I I basically can't see people clearly, but as a result, I think it's played out better because I talk to people before I make the first judgment, right? Because of course, uh, I'm not going on the streets talking to everyone. I'm not that benevolent yet <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when i meet people whether when they used to either come for a show or when i meet them in public or when they come up to me after i go to someone or i'm introduced to someone i'm i don't have the luxury of making that first judgment call uh, which i think i'm going to call a luxury because it pans out well because sometimes you might hear oh this person who's coming to meet us man when you meet her or when you meet him and then you have this in your head but fortunately i don't have the second uh, filter which it comes a little later because i have to spend a few minutes talking to that person and sometimes yes i i do trust my ears more than my eyes and i'm like oof my, I, I wish i had eyes to you know which could have saved me those three minutes <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's amazing that we don't do that right we we mm, as you said, like we, we probably are going on a Tinder date, but we might meet three people on the way, but we're like, no, 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 I have to go on a date. But those three people might have been more meaningful in your life than that date who might turn out to be horrendous. That's right. Right. So, uh, so, so how does someone, because I think to do this, uh, to, to talk to everyone, to give them a chance to, to, to kind of give them a sense that, you know what, you might mean something to me. It comes from a place of loving yourself, because if you are, because I was in the place where you you don't love yourself, and everyone is being viewed in a very combative way that they're th a threat, they're a threat to my identity, they're a threat to my opinions, and it's a very different approach. Then you can't talk to everyone because you have this this wall built around you. So how do you start before loving anyone or treating everyone openly? How does someone even look at themselves um, and appreciate their worth, appreciate who they are for what they are, and 
uh, th- how, how does that process, um, you know, begin for someone? That's such a great question. And, and, you know, for anybody listening, it's like when you hear, well, you have to love yourself first to love somebody else. And you think, well, I, you know, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know <laughs> if that's true. Yeah. But what that means is, you know, not so much give yourself gifts and go for massages. Loving yourself means listening to that critical voice inside of you and getting it to quiet, getting it to go away if possible. Mm. It's that inner critic that's how you're not loving yourself, right? So loving yourself isn't just going to the gym and feeding yourself good foods and, you know, like I said, getting a massage. It Loving yourself is stopping that inner critic that says you're not good enough or that you're damaged in some way or that you're not worthy of love. Mm. And that sometimes is not as easy to hear. Sometimes it's more subconscious than conscious, but that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Because when you have less judgment about yourself, you will have less judgment about the people that you meet. You're more open. You're more willing to give everyone a chance. You know, it doesn't mean you have to put yourself in danger or, (laughs) or make yourself, uh, have to spend time with people you don't want to spend time with who don't interest you, but it just means that your the the lack of judgment allows you to connect with people and meet them where they are. And which which I think is such a you know essential. I mean, it's it's such a no brainer if you think about it, right? Like if you if you ask someone. Um, who doesn't have all the social conditioning, you know what, how would you approach that? It's almost like I, I need to take care of myself to, to kind of then get out in the world, but it's almost like we're getting out into the world and going, wait a second, I left myself back at home, you know? It's, <laughs> I don't have the tools <laughs> or the strength to kind of face it. And but why, why are we doing that? I mean, I think we addressed it um, with, with, with the university high school children who are being given all these options before, they truly realize what they want in this life. But it's, it, it comes down to much more than that and a much more fundamental thing because every parent, when they have a child, when they have a baby, they want the best for that baby. But it seems that there's one point after which things go wrong. Is it like, you know, because I, as I told you, my, my wife and I have a nine-month-old and we want the best for her. And we're talking to other friends who have babies who are a little younger, a little older, and they want the best for the thing, for their for their kids. And they all have the same conversations. We're never going to let our kids use a smartphone, never going to be on social media. And I'm sure every parent had this. And now <laughs> their kids are on Instagram having, um, you know, various groups and going yeah, the through the three-year-old them. has Tinder. Exactly. <laughs> they, they don't even know the meaning of swipe, but they're doing it. <laughs> Looking for a play date. <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely. But how... Where does this flip happen? Because it's it's much more than just the school system or... No, it definitely comes from the parents. It definitely comes from the parents. And you you do, you, you want only the best for that child. So the split comes when, you're ch- when you start having a differing opinion from your child as to what's best for them. And, uh-huh. as, and as the adult, you're always going to feel like, well, I have more experience, so I know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. Hmm. And that's where it splits. And I, I, I will say I have... 22 year old twins and a 26 year old. And Hmm. for several years now, I've been able to say to them when I realized it in myself, like, you know, when I speak to you, you have to know I'm coming from love, but I understand how my fear does not sound like love. Yeah. 
yeah. I'm afraid that you're going to make a mistake does not sound like love. That sounds like I don't believe in you. That sounds like you don't have good judgment. That sounds like I'm judging you. Right. So that's the place that parents need to check with themselves is their love is so strong, but it starts to be translated into fear. And that's when it's not love anymore. It and that's when it comes that I'm from lose you, fear that you make a mistake, fear that this boy is not good for you. And that's right. where the love gets broken. But it is an, I mean, it is a, I mean, it's your need to protect them, right? But yeah. how, how can that not be perceived as love then? Because you, through your more experienced and wisdom, want your child not to make the same mistake. So you're saying, let them make the mistake because maybe the mistake that you think that um, he or she's going to make because of your experience, might, she might not do it or he might not do it. Yes. And it doesn't mean you put them in dangerous scenarios, but I can give you an example from when my son was probably eight years old and he already had an interest in music and he was, a, he was an actor professionally and he, I don't know, he had friends, he played baseball, he had all kinds of things. And then one day he comes home and he says he wants to play football. Now I'm not a very large person, neither is my husband and my children are tiny. Yeah. So yeah. do I want this itty bitty person to play football? <laughs> no. And you mean the American format with the helmet? Yes, I'm sorry. The, not the, yeah. Yes, the American yeah. format with, yeah. you know, putting people to the ground with the big helmets on, right? And which has a pretty high chance of some damage to the head. Yeah. There <laughs> you the, go. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So I want to protect my child. So instead of saying, you're not going to play football, I put on my coach hat, right? So that's my profession, right? And I asked questions and I said, okay. Let's write down everything that you love to do, that you do now, mm. and put football on there. I said, now put them in the order of what's most important to you. And he put them in order what was most important to him, and football was last. And I said, well, what does that tell you? Yeah. He said, I don't really want to play football. I don't have time to play football. And I was like, look at that. And I didn't have to say one unpopular thing to him. Nice. He did it himself. Yeah. You know, I had a similar thing uh, when I was about 15. My There's a sport, I'm sure you heard of cricket. It's a sport played. Yes, right? I, I'm familiar and, and with cricket. Yeah, and they play it, of course, in a school. When you play it for fun, you play it with a softer tennis ball. But the actual sport is played with a harder leather ball, like a baseball. And I remember asking my mom, can I play? And she, uh, and you have people who are fielding, like baseball. And I wanted to feel up close. And she's like, you can't play with this ball because I, I, I mean, how stupid am I? I can't see this ball. And I still want to play this thing, which can really take out a face of mine. And <laughs> I mean, when I look back at some of the arguments, of course, a lot of this hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, but the arguments I would have had, like I insisted my mom that I want to drive. I mean, how? come on. <laughs> like, you know? Right. <laughs> So I'm just being really silly, but I never saw the silliness. So, and a lot of teenagers, a lot of young adults don't see it. I mean, up, I mean, until last week, I didn't see some of my stupidity. You know? <laughs> so how do you, um, I mean, because what you did was absolutely the patient way of dealing with the, with, with the situation, as opposed to putting your fears, like, are you crazy? No way. But most parents, including me, would probably reply in the first way going, are you crazy? Not a chance in hell. But right. uh, what is the... Um, and I'm, this is, I'm sort of fielding this, this, this um, and asking this question more importantly on behalf of parents who are listening right now, like how do you take a step back and not put your 
put yourself in that situation or your fears in that situation or your experience or your supposed wiseness in that situation? It really requires taking a very deep breath and stopping for a moment. <laughs> it really does. Like yeah. I have, I have a college age daughter right now and she does things that, you know, she tells me she does these things, which is, makes me feel like, okay, if she feels safe enough to tell me, then that means my job is to not judge, even though I don't want her to be doing <laughs> some of these things. Yeah. But I, I'll often say, well, that's not how I would do it. Yeah. But I totally get where you're coming from, you know, mm. so it's it. Of course, if if it was like, I'm going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, you're going to stop them. But yeah. when it comes to just you being afraid for your child. Our job is to not clip their wings. Our job is to help them fly. So how do we help them fly safety safely? How do we help them fly with precautions in place, you know, mm. and I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm now coming from, like I said, a 26 year old and two 22 year olds. So I've made a lot of mistakes, but, and sometimes I still do, but mm. I've done it enough times. I take that breath and I go, this isn't about me. This isn't about me. This is them, you know? Mm. So how do you approach it from their point of view, putting yourself in their shoes? You know, I have a son who has epilepsy and he can't drive mm -hmm. and he just wants to drive yeah. so badly. You should give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should talk about this. <laughs> you know, modern life without driving, but the, yeah. the self-driving cars are coming. You know, yeah. we just need the price to come down, right? Yeah. But, you know, how do you, you know, I don't, I don't want to cut his wings, but then, yeah. you know, I have the law on my side yeah. and also, um, you know, it's, how do we make how do we get the goal to happen and get there differently right yeah. so like, the creativity comes in again you know okay, yeah, i can so totally get where he what? is because it is it is sorry for interrupting but it's just an no, idea please, of your I'm masculinity very, i want to hear what you have to say yeah because it's exactly what i felt right the laws again obviously on 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 the side of you shouldn't drive you're gonna hurt more than hurting myself i don't hurt anyone else i don't want to run over a dog i don't want to be that person and i don't want it to get to that stage where like oh my god and it shouldn't get right where you hurt someone and then regret it for the rest of your life going, man why did it why did they let me drive yeah but um fortunately I never got to that stage for me but it's such an essential um i mean till till recently right like when i watch on youtube watch like a um you know a review of a lamborghini or a ferrari i just i, I would never i mean I probably wouldn't get into a Kia. I mean, it's not about the brand anymore, but it's, it's, um, what does it represent, right? Because clearly, and I, I, the reason I interrupted you is because what your son's going through, what I went through, uh, what other people are going through, I wouldn't even say kids, because sometimes kids never fulfill that need and become adults who still have that burning, uh, itch or that thing which was never given to them and that's why many of us behave like that right um i made peace with the fact because you know what i'm i, I realize i live in india there's no point driving because that's adding taking more years off my life than actually driving and running into a wall <laughs> so being driven around is way better so uh, it took a lot of wisdom though to have that make that peace with not being able to drive so well, what does driving represent? You exactly. I mean. So driving or, for instance, whether it's um, someone um, getting into extreme sports or someone doing extreme workouts or uh, what? what is that? Where is it coming from? Because 
that is well, clearly the driving thing, at least from my son's point of view, is independence. You know, he yeah. can go anywhere at any time without needing to have somebody take you. That's independent. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you start talking about extreme sports or extreme workouts, you know, we're talking about adrenaline and we're talking about, um, you know, yes, there's the ability to push past pain and the ability to push past what's reasonable. Yeah. Um, and then you have to ask, at what point does it become an addiction, you know, to right. the thrill? Right. Um, because And I'm not a psychiatrist, to to that, so I don't know. <laughs> no, because just to add to that, the independence aspect, of course, there are people who do different things to feel independent, right? There are women in certain countries who've never had the chance to work and that's the only thing they want to do. They want to get out of the house and work. And that right. I think is, it should be the law, it should be in their favor, but clearly it's not happening everywhere. Or for a person, say, in a developing or a third world country who does not have money, but the only thing they want is money so they can have those three meals a day. I think that's essential. But it clearly is a driving force. And I'm talking about this on a personal human level. How, how do we appreciate that because I think there are better ways for your son to feel independent. There are better ways for me to feel independent, right? Uh, and I think one thing that helped me just to throw that out there is when we are taught that there are certain standards of what it means to be accepted, validated, normal, or even recognized, then those things become the gold standard. And when you don't have those things, you feel that you're working from a premise where you never are going to be that person. But what flipped it around for me is I'm like, there's nothing by those gold standards. Nothing means, um, it means nothing to be validated or recognized unless you are working from a place of your strength. And that really helped me. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, also, we just make these milestones as if like, you know, if you drive, then you're an adult or if you drive, yeah. then you're normal. Yeah. You know, like we make it a, a, a rite of passage. Yeah. And that's that's just nonsense it doesn't have to be that way yeah because for me it was not being one of the boys you know when we turned right. 18 in india we get the license and i remember in school like being shattered that i wasn't able to get a license so everyone in my class was either getting a bike or a car and that meant so many things that they could go on a road trip or they could go out they could you know go on a date my god they could pick up people and they could take them along and i think the that that and, you know, by the way, when I turned 18, my dad offered to buy me a go-kart, which was really, really sweet. But I can't take a girl on a date in a go-kart. Go <laughs> I mean, where would I go? Like, in the in the go-karting ring, just, hey, so what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sweet offer. Anyway, um, but I think it leads to a larger thing, which is fitting in, right? Um, and that sort of ties in with what I wanted to ask you next is this idea of community. Um, it's changed from when you were in school to when I was in school to where we are now till when your kids were in school to now. Um, with the internet, of course, we brought this up right up front. What is community? Community is belonging. Mm -hmm. Belonging to something or to a body of people and sharing an interest. Um, mm. I think community is also knowing that you can contribute, but also, so if, if a contribution is a deposit, that you can also take a withdrawal, that sometimes you need the community to help you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, during the pandemic, so many of us being locked away, some people completely alone by themselves in, in their home or their apartment, you know, we really have come to appreciate community. Yeah. Um, 
I, I came to appreciate having no obligations. I liked that very much. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially on the weekends. I was like, I don't have any obligations. But at the same time, you know, like my mother was living alone in an apartment and I was her only connection to the outside world because I didn't want Ouch. her to get sick. Yeah, and yeah. go out, you know. So for almost three years, it, she's watching television. Not good. Not good. We, yeah. As humans, we we need that connection. We need to see another face. We need to have a conversation. We need to share an interest. We need to share a meal. So, community is a stabilizing force for people. But the range of community. Uh, how community looks, I mean, religion, as you said earlier, was a very key role in society playing that role of community, right? Where you would go to the temple or the church, or you'd go to the mosque, and you mm. would sit and have conversations, you would ask the priest, or you would ask the rabbi questions, which were bothering you, right? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be bad? And, um, now you have co-op, cooperative living, where people share food, they share responsibility, yeah. they share the burden of life they also share the fruits of life the other extreme you have cults like nexium or you have incel where people who don't know where to go are being drawn by these messages that you are like this because of what has been done to you so it's an either end of the spectrum right where you can have someone as give it back give back to you when you when when you go through loss the, the community wraps you in its warmth and says you know what we'll get through this together but then you have someone who's the other group saying when you're most vulnerable, that's when I will take you in for a purpose or for a reason that is only known to me. So clearly we have different kinds of community. Um, how do you, I wouldn't say you, but what is, what is your approach when it comes to guiding someone? Because it clearly is the kind of person who's drawn to that, right? But sometimes you just don't know any better and you're, you're, and there are absolutely normal, so-called normal, educated, independent people who are being dragged into these cults. And, and I'm sure you've, you've, you've probably read in the news, the, the, the rise of these cults are more and more. Well, cults survive on people being isolated. Mm. You know, it's, it's approaching the person who's isolated, approaching the person who's lonely, approaching the person who's other, and giving them a place to belong. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I don't have much experience with that. Thank goodness. Right. Yeah, it's no, it's quite um, terrifying because it can really shatter your entire um, sense of who you are. Well, and that's what they're designed to do mm. is to break down who you thought you were and make you part of what they want you to be. And then mm. anybody else who doesn't agree with you, like your family trying to get you out of a cult, um, you know, they become the enemy. So it's it's brainwashing, mm. um, and it and it is like it preys on the vulnerable people who feel alone. So, wow. And do you think a lot of the things that are coming up today? Uh, I don't want to go down uh, sounding like a conspiracy theorist because that's the last thing I want to do. But with all the things that we have now, which are brilliant, like, you know, honestly speaking, the fact that we're doing this and just now while we're talking, I have an AI tool, which wanted to join and start taking notes. And I'm like, hey, leave us alone, <laughs> even though I subscribe for it. <laughs> 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 but we have all these things like auto AI, chat GPT, we have the internet, we have self-driving. And it's mind blowing, right? That a, that a human has such tools at his or her disposal or what 
it, whatever you want. You have surgeries that were unheard of 50 years back. But you clearly need a kind of human who can benefit from this. But you also have a kind of human who can be manipulated by this. So you being someone in such a position with your workshops, with the knowledge, um, but also the kind of knowledge which you specifically give because you're an expert, because that's another thing we have an abundance today, which might not be the best thing, which is knowledge freely um, accessed without kind of guidance, because that also I think is not very good for a mind that is not able to process it. So what would you say are some of the things a person needs to be the human that benefits from this, as opposed to the human that's manipulated and exploited by this? Uh, I mean, discernment, you know, how do you teach discernment? How do you teach discernment? It's, you know, going with the beginnings of what's right and what's wrong. How do you measure that? Mm -hmm. um, it, and it really gets down, you know, we talked about that voice inside of you, right? So we want, we want you to be in touch with not the critical voice, but the voice that your gut feeling, you know, your gut feeling of this feels right or this feels wrong, or I feel like I'm being manipulated, even though they're they, you know, they're the wolf in sheep's clothing. They they yeah. seem so gentle. So really trusting when something just doesn't feel right. Right. Um and so how you know how do you build that muscle within yourself is is the question of you know I mean, it gets down to integrity. There's people who are, there's always people who are going to exploit. Yeah. Um, but if you're a person of integrity and that's, that varies from person to person, just like the truth varies from person to person. But, um, you know, if you're going to use all these technologies for good, that's what you need to be looking at, mm -hmm. you know? So we kind of, we switched around topics here from technology to cults, but yeah. you know, if you look at like, look at even like why, you know, someone like Jeff Bezos, don't know him personally, but has more money than anyone can imagine. What keeps him from doing something with that money that could change the planet instead of saying, let's go to the moon, or I'm going to pay for people to go to the moon, or I'm going to pay for myself to go to the moon. Mm. What's that? The exit plan for when the planet doesn't exist anymore? Like, what is the, what is the purpose of that? It doesn't Other show great faith in earth <laughs> right right no faith in earth and an yeah. ego gratification of saying i i you know one of the first uh commercial ways to get to the moon who cares and you in, know in many ways so he's a glorified shopkeeper you know <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know i i you know we talk about being exploited or you know what's good what's evil it's hard to say but um each person has their barometer for what's right Let's put it that way. Yeah, because you know you you have uh, children in the twenty in, in in their twenties, and there are a lot of people who are waking up in their twenties, and you can't really, um, you know, it's very easy for me sitting here, uh, and sometimes I catch myself doing it, going, "Oh, these kids these days, they have no clue. They're just spoiled on social media," and it's not their fault because that was what is offered to them as entertainment and a way out and a so-called quote-unquote way to find community, and now we kind of demonize them for doing that. But it's but at the same time, look at if, if, let me interrupt you. I'm yeah. sorry, but I'm not sorry. Um, but let's look at that. Okay, so yeah. now yeah. we know that social media is bad for young brains. We know yeah. that being on social media for too long causes depression in young girls. We know these things. No, no one cares enough to stop it because it's all about the money. Yeah, yeah. 
It, right. So we create these things that are supposed to be good. And then they make so much money that when they prove to be bad, nobody cares to fix it. And, and that's a very strange speaks. thing because, you know, as you said, with whether it's excessive of excesses of anything, right? Because why is it that we can't do that as human? Because clearly, you know, if, if a self-driving car would take one person around the city but kill about a million, you'd stop that car, <laughs> right? That's right. That's but right. why can't we pull the plug on these things and why can't? When, when you know when there are people like you and I talking about it, there are I think a lot of people opening their eyes and doing a lot, a lot of good work to help people see the, the 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 poison poisonous nature of some of these excesses. But why can't the people like even now with ChatGPT? I think it's a brilliant tool. But I think you, I think I can see where it it could go if it's not right. checked because it clearly is one of those things. But well, in the, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please. No, I was going to say, in the United States, you know, our senators are so old, most of them don't even use the internet. So they can't even create regulations because they don't understand how it works. Right. And so it's unregulated and mm. they can do whatever they want. And it drives me crazy because part of why they can do that is because we don't have people who understand it, who make the rules. Right. And also it's all about money. Look at the Second Amendment in the United States. We have massive gun shootings because we allow people to have automatic weapons, which in other countries get banned. The minute there's one accident, that's it. Yeah, They're banned. But we have the Second Amendment that says you have the right to bear arms. But no, you have the right. What we have, where we give the right to is for a very strong gun lobby that has lots of money to give money to politicians. And therefore the politicians will not make the rules to change the, the availability of these weapons. So everything gets back to money. <laughs> so what's the point then? Because no, I'm not to sound so fatalistic, but it is really like, what's the point, right? You want to put the best uh, foot forward. You want to put the best uh, ideas and the best notions or your best emotions or your best intentions when it comes to raising your children or raising your your own value system or what you want from life and you say okay you know what i'm going to give them going to give myself a chance to be in this world live this life with these three things love community purpose but every corner you're faced with this faced with corruption you're faced with intimidation you're Greed. faced with technology I, i'm not sort of painting a very bleak picture i know it sounds bad but how do you keep your head above water you have to have your own barometer we said this before you know what's your litmus test What's your value system? And, you know, if we get back to the, you know, I studied something called A Course in Miracles, which mm -hmm. uh, is a psycho-spiritual self-study course. And basically it says that there's two thoughts. You either, have, you either have a fear thought or a love thought. And when people say, you know, ultimately love wins, I, I want to believe that. But you yeah. also, each individual has to decide does love win within me? Mm. Right. So if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> right, love is not winning. I'm very happy with my, you know, but love isn't winning. Greed is allowing children to have depression and social media to have people, you know, in a flurry. So it becomes your own personal barometer. 
and hopefully not feeling like a salmon swimming upstream that you do have enough like-minded people to feel like you are in community with people who believe in the same things you do. Mm. Do you believe in a person having control over their life or do you believe in destiny? Um, I, I think both. I think that you have free will that it does come down to you still have a choice and you may choose not to go through that door that is opening for you. So the destiny opens the door and you still get to choose if you go in or not. Right. Because when I'm sure I wouldn't like to uh, speculate, but I'm sure you have people coming to you and asking you, why is nothing working out for me? Why am I in this situation? And you can say the things you do, which are absolutely important to say and i think they're really true and they're really powerful but sometimes you can't just you just can't get through that person's head right because they're like no it's everything's against me i'm just nothing's working out i don't have anyone i don't have the right job i don't have anything so yes i, I don't want to um take away from yes the internal barometer your 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 value system they're very important but sometimes that's not the reality people aren't able to look at that mm -hmm. they might say oh you know that i looked at the horoscope in the newspaper today so that's why i asked you the idea of destiny and uh, sometimes, you know, uh, I just want to throw this in there is when you look back, uh, and I was talking to someone about this, you might have plans that you've laid out meticulously, right, based on what you think you need to do to get to a certain place. So you might make um, decisions to meet certain people, you might go to certain schools, you might live in a certain community, you might get that dream job, you might get that dream promotion, you might get that dream house, and finally look back, and you go, wait a second, none of this made sense. And yet for someone, who might have none of it working out, they look back and go, wow, what a ride. <laughs> so it's it's quite brilliant how well, the life takes you. And if, you know, I, it was more an observation than a question. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good observation. It's a good observation. Well, you know, but let's go back to the people who think nothing's ever working out for me. And, you know, that it's, hey, I, I've had moments like that myself you know, but I've, I've lived through them and gotten to the other side. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately comes down to, you know, you're going to find whatever you're looking for. So change what you're looking for, you know, is what you put your attention on. But, but yeah. Okay. So let's say someone is born into poverty yeah, and they don't have the opportunities and they don't have money. Um, I still do believe that hard work creates luck. Right. That, you know, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're recognized as someone who can add value and you make it an opportunity. Um, you know, we've seen lots of stories like that. I like that. Where people don't have an advantage and yet they create their own advantage. Would you call that managing expectations? No, no. I'd call it um I'd call it defying the odds. <laughs> right. Right. No, because people who face adversity really sometimes do bring out uh, you know, they they discover cylinders in them they never knew they had. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, I tried, you know, as someone who has had, you know, I I was born in the right zip code and, you know, have had more privileges than a lot of people. And I tried to think, you know, what would my life be like if I didn't have that? Yeah. 
but I, you know, I can look back two generations and there's, pe- there's people in my family who didn't had nothing and they mm-hmm. created opportunity that then yeah. gave the next generation a better opportunity and a better opportunity. So I think that you can, in a way, create your own destiny. Mm. Now, I think in times like this, it's such a powerful message to hear because you're constantly being tugged in different directions, pulled by this group saying, no, we'll help you, or this person saying, I'll help you, or this person saying, no, you you can't be helped, or it's hopeless. So these things, I think, need to be constantly um, something you remind yourself with. So. Laura, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to share your experiences, your insights, and your story. Um, I think people listening and I my, myself really appreciate and enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you for this interesting journey and great questions. We went many, many, many places. Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. Sometimes I ask no, more questions. No, that's delightful. <laughs> my wife's like, can you listen more on your episodes? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But... Uh, no, it's it's been absolutely lovely. If uh, people want to find your workshops, they want to get your books, um, where can they do that? It's probably easier to remember nowwhatcoaching.com than it is to remember my name. So go to nowwhatcoaching.com and you'll find out lots of, we have a, some free stuff coming up and there's lots of resources available there too. And because you're based in the, in, in the US, but can people around the world access it? Yes, it's all online. Brilliant. Absolutely. Fantastic. So I'm sure a lot of people will be heading your way. And I'm um, really glad to have had this opportunity to talk to you. So appreciate it. And good luck with uh, your children and their young adulthood and everything else coming your way. Thank you. And good luck to you, new dad. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, Laura. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.